on today's episode of the podcast. I do a dive into the Siakam trade, but more about why teams do this, and I don't blame them, especially when you look at free agent signings over history, especially for the teams that are not always destinations. And we're going to preview all four NFL playoff games with Mark Schlereth, a four-leg parlay from your boy on the Bills and Chiefs, and an extended life advice with the Vending Machine Challenge update. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. We have a lot of football to do with Schlera, so I did want to spend a little time on the big NBA trade from this week with Siakam going to the Pacers from Toronto. So Toronto doing a full reset here after the OG deal, you know, criticism after letting Van Vliet walk, and now Siakam on the move, which is still a few weeks ahead of the trade deadline. It's not normal operating procedure for GMs where you just kind of feel like the longer you wait. But Siakam has been floated around for such a long time. Uh, even even OG, where apparently they did turn down multiple first-round picks for OG and then like the player combo with Barrett and Quickly Better, which I don't blame them for. And so now we're kind of looking at Toronto. I was like, all right, what's the next step? Because let's just face it, coming into this year, this is a really disappointing team. It's not as disappointing as, you know, Atlanta's up there for disappointment. The Lakers are up there. Golden State's up there. Um, but Toronto's probably on a short list of five teams. So when I saw the trade when it was first announced, I was like, all right, so the Pacers are moving Bruce Bowen. Uh, Jordan Wara and three first round picks. And I think I've been the James Cook of of just going, dude, these first round picks are kind of overrated. Like, what's the big deal? But then you have to look at the protections. You have to understand like what the risk could be and then what it is down the road. As far as the pick for this year, if you look at the Pacers and where they're at in the standings with the nice win last night against Sacramento, that pick is 19th. All right. Now, uh, this is also considered a very terrible draft, especially like an all-time terrible draft, especially at the top. Uh, that will change. will be in May, and people start telling you how much they like the draft. But this has been a draft that two years out, I've heard people going like, man, 24 is going to be bad. All right, so the first-round pick of their own, that's 19th. The first-round pick of the worst of either Utah, Houston, L.A., or OKC. And that's OKC as of right now. So that'd be the 27th pick. So you're looking at 19 and 27 this year. The one that is a little scary is the 26th first round pick from the Pacers going to Toronto. That's top four protected. Now, it's very simple to say, hey, with Halliburton, they re-signed Siakam. You know, Matherin takes another step. Maybe one of the other younger players plays well. Who knows? Like, you don't have to worry about that thing, you know, being the fifth or sixth pick. That seems likely today. But we don't know that because the funny thing about this draft surplus, as of, as we've seen in recent years, just everybody trading as many picks as they can for some of these players, that there's going to be one transaction we'll look back years later and go, oh, my God, I can't believe what they gave up. And then it's going to feel like there's an identical transaction just based on the number of picks involved, where we'll look back on that one going, dude, they gave up nothing. Like one of the first ended up carrying over to becoming a second. You know, they got a pick at 21 and 28 and... The other one, you know, so 
it'll be weird because we still don't have like the final price tally on a lot of these transactions that were just a big part of this boom for everybody going like, look, let's just keep moving all of our first rounders. So I, when I first saw it, like my first thing was, okay, but if you're going to move that, even if you're talking about two picks in this year's draft, thinking what we think of it today and the 26 top four protected, like you better know you're keeping Siakam. Like that can't be a rental for a team that probably still isn't getting through with Siakam, getting through the top teams that are in the East. You know, who knows? Could be, but I don't know that all of a sudden the Pacers defense is going to be enough that it's going to make them competitive with a Boston, a Milwaukee, a Philadelphia. Milwaukee's one of the strangest teams ever. Like you look up two seed, really good record, keep winning games. Then they'll just be this, this blip every four or five games where defensively you're like, what is wrong with those guys? So um, when I didn't have any information on Siakam's intention I was a little more worried about it for the Pacers, but the feeling, especially if you're going by what Woj has been saying, the phrasing specifically about what Siakam's interest is in staying this summer and staying with the Pacers, and then me digging around a little bit where it's like they had to have known that Siakam was cool with staying in Indiana, which you know isn't going to be for everybody, and it's nothing against the Pacers. There's probably more than half the teams in the league where you'd go, I don't know that that's ever going to be a destination, and I'd put the Pacers in that group as well, even with Halliburton's uh, massive step that he's taken this season. So if Siakam's cool with it, instead of wanting to be kind of wine and dine and being looked at one of the top free agents with this offseason class, uh, which I've got to get into here for a second too. Like if Siakam's cool with it, they already kind of know. It seems like the Pacers are smart enough they're going to move that kind of stuff. Whatever you think of the picks, you'd have to have some assurance that you're good to go with Siakam in some kind of an extension that he doesn't want to be courted by everybody or he doesn't want to go somewhere else. It gives him a better chance to win. Then I like the deal for the Pacers. And here's why. It gets back to the Danny Angel. The Angel, it's not necessarily he that invented it, but it was the first time it was explained to me years and years ago, like 15 years ago when I was still in Boston. And I talked to Ainge and, you know, I was like as a younger guy and depending on who I was influenced by and the different NBA writers or the different people I would talk to, I just kept always thinking like, oh, wow, this team will have this cap space. And, oh, you can't do that deal because it's going to get in the, it's going to get in the way of their cap space, cap space, cap space, cap space. And Ainge is like, you guys, you guys overrate cap space so much. Like, it's a joke. Like, go back historically on how many players are actually moving. Like, it's a cool plan to sell to your fans while you're not losing games. But then all of a sudden, you get to use that cap space and you're bidding against everybody else. And if you have that much cap space, it means your team probably isn't even that good. So who's actually going to show up that's going to alter the course of who your franchise is? Like, I remember... Orlando resetting the decks and thinking they were getting Duncan. They ended up with Grant Hill. Um, you know, that was like this, this thing at the time. I'm like, God, they're so smart. And then since that time in the last, what, 20 years, you're going, oh, a lot of teams do that and they end up being burnt and then they have to spend their money on somebody they didn't even want to. So if you're looking at the free agent class and some of these websites need to work on their top free agent list, like you just shouldn't be putting the restricted free agent like Tyrese Maxey is the number one free agent because he's restricted. So it should be the real free agents. If you're looking at the real free agents, you know, OG and Anobi, well, they probably have some understanding for them to move that many pieces to pay for that trade in OG in New York. So, you know, again, I don't know how realistic it is that he's a real free agent. Uh, Paul George with the Clippers. Okay, maybe. I mean, that becomes another thing too when you look at some of these players that have the player options where 
know, if you had cap space and you were banking it for this off season and you're being told by the agent, like, okay, my guy's opting out, my guy's opting out. And then he doesn't opt out or he ends up getting an extension. Like, there's just so much unknown. And the angel was always, I would rather use cap space or at least ruin my own cap space and ruins the wrong word, but I'd rather just make a transaction where I know with 100% certainty of who I'm getting. And in this case, that's exactly what the Pacers did. Like Siakam, believe it or not, it, once you sift through kind of the nonsense of some of these free agent lists that are out there, you could argue Siakam might have been like the number one, just free and clear, anyone can bid on him, free agent this offseason. Um, and that sounds crazy as I said it out loud just now. And even when I wrote it down earlier this morning, I'm like, is he really the, the number one guy? And you're like, realistically obtainable? Maybe. I like Siakam. I probably should like him more than I do. And, and that's what it is. It's a like. One year in doing the all-NBA voting, I've had it two years. I think there was a year where I was like, is he 15 or 16? I may have put Jimmy Butler over him. I'd have to go back and look at it again. But I was like, man, we're talking about somebody who like is going to get third team votes here. Like, Why don't you like him more? Um, I, there's definitely a fall off in the playoffs. I think he becomes a little bit predictable and maybe easier to guard. I don't know that there's a ton of spacing with him. But him at 29, 30 in April, and considering what else is available for a Pacers organization that is not a destination, and the fact that you're adding him to Halliburton, who looks like he's going to be a real star in this league, so you're showing that you're committed to this, like it makes a lot of sense for the Pacers to go, hey, Siakam's probably better than anybody that we can use our cap space on. So let's just go ahead and do that. If we get the assurance that he wants to stay, and two of these picks might not even matter. And if we're good, the 2026 pick might not be that big of a deal. It's kind of a home run for the Pacers. There's also something else that I want to bring up. Because one of the other rules that I think about is like the Vooch rule. And the Vooch rule is this. If you're the Bulls, and those picks ended up being far more disastrous than I think anything we project for the Pacers if this goes wrong. But the Bulls make a deal, and at the time, I'm like, well, at least they're just trying to figure out a way to compete. They were right on the DeRozan thing. You know, the Levine issue is what it is. They were right on Caruso. It sucks about Lonzo Ball. But you're like, man, that's starting five. Like, you know, Patrick Williams. You get, you get what I'm saying. Like, if you're a Bulls fan, you're kind of playing along going, best case scenario and all these different things. But what did the Vooch contract, or I should say it this way, what did the Vooch acquisition guarantee you if you were the Bulls paying that kind of premium price? Did it guarantee you another round in the playoffs? Because it felt like at least guaranteed that you were competitive now in the East, but not the elite tier. But it didn't really guarantee anything. And based on what the team hasn't done in the playoffs, it's probably below even expectations. So if you look at the Pacers and you go, well, if you add Siakam, what does it guarantee? Does it guarantee you an Easter Conference Finals? No. Does it guarantee you the second round? Is it still a no? <laughs> you know? Like, well, let's see what he looks like once he's there. Um, Cleveland continues. When you look at the standings, you're like, Cleveland's still the four seed? Like, how are they doing this without Garland and Mobley? And they just keep beating teams. It's incredible. Um, but I think a lot of fans would have to be reminded that Cleveland was even a four seed here. So maybe it guarantees you the second round. But guarantee is probably the wrong word here. More likely to get to the second round? That's fine. But the the counter to the Siakam transaction is, okay, but what is your ceiling? And, and I think it's fair, but it's irrelevant in the bigger scope of what you're discussing here if you're a front office going, hey, we're adding a guy in here that we're likely not going to be able to get 
elsewhere. And if we want to wait around and keep waiting around, then we're going to end up having to do what we just did, and that's spend cap space on Bruce Brown, who's a nice player. Um, and when the reports first came out about what Bruce Brown's deal was, it was two years, $45 million. We found out very quickly that the second year was a club option. So it's like, is he really going to get the $45 million from whoever has his rights? You know, is he really going to get that kind of money? But it was kind of that big number, let's use the cap space, shorter deal. But Bruce Brown, sans Jokic, is not somebody that I'm super interested in investing in. I mean, there's a lot of players that with Jokic, I'd be like, I don't know that I want to pay him the Jokic stat prices. Jabari Parker got a deal five years ago, uh, over five years ago, where he got one year $20 million with a club option on the second year. But that was another one of those, let's pay a big number on the shorter deal, allow us flexibility. They ended up trading him later that year anyway. Here's another li- little added element to all of this um, as I talk about free agency and cap space because now the players aren't doing shorter deals for the most part. They're just going to do their contract. They're going to max it out as much as they can. And if they want to ask out, they'll ask out. Uh, That's going to change a bit just based on what their options are and where they can go with the new, basically a hard cap at the top of this for the most expensive teams. But if you're looking through teams that, you know, look, Houston at one point was thought to be a destination. NBA players really like Houston. Nobody would take their cap space. Now, it wasn't a very good team. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say nobody's going to take it because two players clearly did, but they weren't getting a primo guy this year. So they pay Van Vliet three years, $129 million. Third year's a team option. Brooks gets $86 million, four years, fully guaranteed. So when the numbers come out, you're like, man, those are massive numbers for Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet. And that's part of the Pacers discussion is it's like, well, you can get Siakam now and pay the price of draft picks. But if you resign him, like, wouldn't you rather give him the 40 plus million um, than not have any idea and then be stuck with the cap space and being like, who's left? Like, all right, I don't know. Do you want to give that guy one year and 28 million? Because we don't really like him, but we have to use the space. When you look at Charlotte, right? They spent four years, $120 million on Gordon Hayward. It technically ended up being a sign of trade, but that was about him having the leverage to be able to do it. The injury thing alone, 168 games to the Hornets, clearly wasn't worth it, but the Hornets had to pay Hayward because they were the Hornets, and that's a staggering number. The Mavs, when they broke up the 2011 team, people were upset about it, and they played the result because they didn't get back, and their whole offseason plan and cap space didn't really work out. I didn't really have that big of an issue with that team being broken up, but it's easy to say it was a huge mistake years removed, but they were, once again, the Mavs feel like they've done this a lot under Cuban. Clear the decks, set up for cat space, let's figure it out. They ended up with Monte Ellis for 25 million bucks. Denver, a couple years ago, well, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, they brought in Paul Millsap. He was 32 years old, nine mil, or excuse me, 90 million over three years. And I mean, look, Millsap was okay, but he wasn't prime Millsap, but it was another place in Denver where, you know, it was an, you know, look, it's, it's for the most part, it's been a really good organization, but it's not been a destination for anybody. And they had cap space. They wanted to add to what they had. They paid $90 million to Paul Millsap. Detroit had a deal where Josh Smith got 54 million over four years. You know, look, they paid Ben Gordon and Villanueva huge money prior to that too, when they kind of try to figure it out on the fly. Um, Josh was waived in the second season. They paid him until 2020 with a stretch position, uh, stretch provision. Memphis in the cap spike year at 2016, <laughs> they spent 94 million 
on Chandler Parsons, who played 95 games. I saw a thing from two years ago as I was researching this, because I was looking at like the non-destination teams and the cap spending that they've had. And look, there's some teams that have clearly hit it, but it's such a flawed plan. And it's an almost impossible plan for about two thirds of the franchises in this league. There was an Oklahoma City piece up from August of 21 that ranked the Thunder's top five free agent signings. I don't know if this is wrong or if I'm missing something because I can't remember every single transaction for every team over the last 20 years. But number five was Karan Butler. Number four was Patrick Patterson. Number three was Denad Kristic. Um, two was Derek Fisher. And number one was Nerlens Noel. Like, wait, Michich might have a chance after this year to crack that top five. That is the point. The price, the three, the headline of three firsts sounds bad. The two firsts this year probably aren't going to be anything you're worried about. There's some exposure in 26. If things just went bad, then you couldn't say predictably bad, but you never know. Like Atlanta probably didn't think those picks were going to be as high as they're going to be when they did the DeJounte Murray transaction. But if you're one of those teams, and I think the smarter teams, they go, I just would rather pull something off now than waiting around and hoping to predict all these things that become really tough to predict. So if they re-sign them, home run for the Pacers. When it comes to the NFL playoffs, you've got to win one game at a time. But when you bet the NFL playoffs on FanDuel, one game can mean a lot of wins. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, has all of your favorite bets like the money line and the spread, plus all sorts of prop bets. We built one for you. Four leg, same game, parlay, Here's the deal. And you can kind of switch it around a little bit if you want to. Uh, but it's up on the website right now in FanDuel Sportsbook. So here's what we went with. Sure and I spent a lot of time on this. Rasheed Rice, anytime touchdown score. Feels doable. Dalton Kincaid, plus 25 yards receiving. Certainly doable. Josh Allen, under 43 and a half rushing yards. Feel like it's going to be a point of emphasis for this defense. And this defense is much better than the other defenses. And considering that Allen... When you look back at the last time they match up, like 43 and a half is very doable to keep them under. Now, if you like the Bills, like I do, minus two and a half, that is going to pay out plus $11.45. $10 wager gets you $114. If you want to switch out the Bills for Kansas City, all the other things are obviously all doable. And the number is a little different on the payout for that one, um, but still something you could look at. Right now, every day there's an NFL playoff game. FanDuel is giving all customers a no-sweat same-game parlay. That means you can combine all your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. You'll get bonus bets back if your same-game parlay doesn't win. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. If you don't already have an account, make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 and older, I'm present in select states. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com forward slash RG. Minimum three-leg parlay requirement. Refund issued is non-withdrawable. Bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. Great to catch up with a guy that I loved spending time with back at ESPN, now with Fox Sports and 104.3, the fan in Denver. 
uh, three-time Super Bowl champ. It's Mark Schlereth. What's up, man? It's good to see you. It's good to see you, man. Great to hear your voice. Great to see you on uh, camera here. And uh, look forward to the time when we bump into each other uh, down the road. Are you going to be at the Super Bowl? Are you going to the Super Bowl? I'll be in town for a couple yeah. of days. I, I usually get out of there before. So Yeah, um, so I do, this, I do the same thing. I fly in, kind of do whatever I have to do radio-wise, and then psh, get out before the game. Well, you know, I wouldn't blame you for staying the ageless. I should, I should have introduced you that way, the ages. I don't think there's been a TV guy that's aged as well as you have. <laughs> well, I don't know about, I don't know about all that, but uh, I am an absolute uh, freak show. I'm a unit. I am uh, stronger than the day is long, and uh, I've been training like I'm making a comeback. Uh, why? I don't, why not? Like, why? Well, I don't know why. I usually don't do this at the start of interviews and derail them. What's, uh, what's going on with you? Are we talking higher T levels? Like, all of a sudden, you're just taking it on? yeah you know what it's it's funny my wife like my wife hates working out and so she's like how oh, she has a trainer and i've known this guy for 25 years you know i knew him when i was playing here in denver and she's like i just don't want to lift anymore she goes and she had a bunch of appointments already you know she already purchased them she goes why don't you take over my appointments i'm like all right I, you know because i've been doing my own thing and i get in to to this with a trainer and we start going to town and you know he's used to working on a bunch of 65 year old blue hairs and i walk in there and i'm like let's go and then it becomes this competition like guys you know like, like and he's trying to kill me and i'm like fuck you you ain't getting me and so i mean we go back and forth and back and forth and i've got these training sessions that are just ludicrous and like I got all these aches and pains and stuff. I have worked through the majority of my pain. Um, like I said, I'm strong as the day is long. I'm too heavy, but um, I feel great. I feel better right now. I'm gonna. I'm about ready to turn 58 years old. I feel better right now than I did at 36 when I retired. My body feels amazing, absolutely amazing, and I am punishing it on a uh, on a weekly basis. All right, I. I love hearing this. This makes me feel great because I was doing something the other day where it was more of a, it wasn't a, a lifting thing. It was a, a combat sport thing. And I started, I've been doing it for like four or five months. Uh, and I, I had a day the other day where I was like, why the fuck are you doing this again? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was yeah. like, this, I was like, this hurts. This is hard. This is like, I don't want to have to do that next thing. Like, yeah. I, don't, I could just leave. I could not right. do it. And I'm going to, it's going it, to, then, you know, whatever, like everybody, you get through the hour and you're like, all right, that was awesome. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm doing this. Right. Uh, well, I, I, I'll, real quick, man, my daughter went with me. She was home um, over, uh, shoot, I guess it was probably over Christmas that my youngest daughter came. Well, everybody was home, but my youngest daughter went to the gym with me. And um, I am doing some circuit with, you know, squats and, and um, trap bar deadlifts. And, and like, I am, killing myself and i'm like literally about ready to pass out and my my and she's 30 my youngest daughter is 30 she's literally almost in tears going quit you're gonna hurt my dad like you're gonna kill my dad and he's like my trainer's like his name is fuji and his fuji's like ah your dad's fine i don't even worry about him right and if it, it's been it's been hilarious man but i've had a great time doing it great time i defer to fuji anybody named fuji man i yeah. mean next time i come to town i might i right. might hit him up when i'm in denver exactly uh, all right. So look, 
there's a lot of games here that I, you know, we got four of them, and I'm kind of fascinated for all their individual storylines. Let me start with the Buffalo Kansas City headliner. Are you an Allen guy? Oh, I, I do like Allen. There, there's no question. I like Allen. I know this. If I'm Kansas City, I'm saying um, that fake slide bullshit that ain't going to happen because we're going to take two personal fouls in this game. And, like, we can afford two personal fouls. And when that guy runs, and he will run, somebody try to lambaste him. Like, that would be my number one rule if I'm the Kansas City Chiefs right now. Defensively, the way we're playing, their top five defense, they're, uh, they're you know, exceptional from rushing the passer standpoint. Their coverage stuff is is great, man. They're, they're I mean, they're a really good defense. This is the best defense uh, since 2018, since Patrick Mahomes became the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs that they have ever had. And so they can rely on that. So when you have that style of defense and that type of defense, um, you can you can allow yourself a couple of personal fouls. Like, that's that's part of the game plan. Like, if you're not very good, you can't. You can't do that. But they're good enough to say, we're going to give up 15 and, you know, send a message. And there's a little frontier justice in there that uh, – Reminds me back of, you know, the day when I played, which is, a, I think, a good thing. And solid, really good, top-notch defenses can do that in today's game. Yeah, that run, whether it was the fake slide, the Kenny Pickett deal, or just the fear that everyone has. Like, I'll see – I try not to get caught up in – I can't believe they threw the flag there. I can't believe they threw the flag there. But there's just too right. many slides, especially when it's like third and six and the yeah. quarterback finds a way out, and you go, I'm trying to prevent the first down. Like, what am I supposed to do here? But again, the bigger picture here is that when everybody bitches about the safety of the league, this is the, this is the byproduct. This is what you get then. Everybody wants to be mad that it's not safe, that they're not doing enough to protect the players. Well, now they're doing it, and nobody seems to like that either. Um, you're right about this defense, though, with Kansas City. I, I couldn't believe it when I looked up the Week 14 numbers again when the Bills won that one by three, but Diggs, Davis, and Shakir, five combined catches for 36 yards what is it about this kansas city secondary that probably doesn't get talked about as much as chris jones and bolton yeah i think bolton's been great chris jones and carl loftus is is a really good you know secondary pass rusher they've got a lot of players i just look at them when they're in press they do such a good job of disrupting routes, disrupting the offense, and and dominating. And, you know, I mean, you saw the thing with Tyreek Hill basically saying, man, Sneed sent me back to, uh, you know, he, he sent me to Cancun. Like, he just absolutely dominated me on a line of scrimmage. Like, they're really good at that stuff. And so there's a complementary nature to what they're doing to disrupt the routes that allow, you know, even if you get beat, if you get beat late, as long as you're not beat early, you get beat late, it allows Chris Jones and the rest of those guys to get there. So there's a complementary nature to what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball that I think is exceptional. So it sounds like you're leaning Chiefs in this one. Yeah, I think I think that and, and the fact that the Chiefs right now, I mean, excuse me, the Buffalo Bills right now, both little middle linebackers missed all their practice, right? Milano got hurt earlier in the season. You got uh, Tredavious uh, White, who's an outstanding corner, get hurt. Both their starting corners were dinged up in last week's game. Um, they've got a bunch of dudes on the injury report. I went through the injury report this morning, report this morning, and um, the, it concerns me, you know, because did not did not practice, did not practice with these two starting middle linebackers uh, on Wednesday and Thursday. Now you start to look at, hey, man, if you're not a great offensive team or a great offensive coordinator, like maybe that doesn't really bother you. But for me, I start to look at, okay, well, what's the injury? Is it a knee injury? 
Well, now I'm going to work my wide zone stuff, cut back runs, try to put that guy in a precarious position that plays linebacker, right? I want to get after that guy. Or let's say it's a, a low back injury. The guy's having a problem. Well, now I'm going ISO game. I'm going gap game. I'm coming right down with a 320-pound guard. And I'm going to make you use your back. You know, this is kind of the – like make you – I'm going to stress whatever that injury is. You got a hamstring in the passing game. If it's a hamstring and you're a middle linebacker, we're going to be running seam routes. And you're going to have to carry the seam in a three-by-one formation. Good luck. We're going to put you in a stressed position. So, you know, that's that's how the NFL and good coordinators operate when guys are dinged up but guys are hurt. And Andy Reid is a, is a damn good play caller, and they're a damn good offense. And um, – Pacheco is a, um, you know, Pacheco's been great. Like the middle linebacker position, where do Kansas, where's Kansas City hurt you? They hurt you running the football down the middle of the football field, and they hurt you with with Travis Kelsey at the tight end position. So these are things that concern me about Buffalo going into this game. Yeah, Bernard is the line, one of the linebackers you're talking about. He's been really good, and you know, the, I read this earliest thing before taping, and it was like we still have hope. But Gabe Davis is going to be out of this one as well. So the injury yeah. matchup through this one, it's it's certainly like. The Bills, you know, it's it's funny about the Bills because there was a stretch where Jones was out, Milana was out, Tredavious was out. There was two other starters, I think, that were out like very early in the season. And you're going, how are they going to figure this? And yet they still, without a lot of those players, closed. Jones came back in the, the very end of the season or in the playoff game. But, um, you know, they, they still kind of found a way. So I want to ask you that. It's just kind of as you've gone into different seasons, maybe just the playoff part of it. Uh-huh. Like all these names can get lost outside of the quarterbacks and the big stars and all that stuff where it's like, man, we lost because we were on our third corner or we lost because, you know, the nickel guys actually like a special teams gunner on, you know, on right. punt yeah. coverage. What is that like? Because, you know, there's only so many roster spots. Like, Do you go, I can't believe that guy's playing and then have other scenarios where you had seasons where you were like, thank God we kept an extra corner or, you know, thank God we have an extra offensive lineman. Like, how does, yeah. how do the names that are so easy to forget, um, get, like, how, how does that work when you're getting ready for this kind of playoff game? Because I'm sure it's different from team to team. Yeah, it, I, I think it is different from team to team. I think sometimes the, the other thing that ends up happening to you is you lose a guy that's just a locker room glue guy. It, it, you're so compartmentalized in football, right? You go to different meeting rooms, you go to different areas on the practice field where you practice and all that kind of stuff. There are some guys that connect offense to defense, special teams to defense and offense. There, there's just some of those guys that are just so vitally important. They're kind of the lifeblood that courses through the veins of your locker room. And you lose those guys. And oftentimes they're just backup guys that, for instance, give you a look on scouting. And, you know, you may have a linebacker that's just a pure special teams guy that gives you, um, he plays, you know, in my day, he played Junior Seau or he played Derek Thomas or, you know, and and he's so damn good at mimicking that player. And he'll study that player during the week. And then he'll give you that look. So as you're the tackle or you're the guard taking on that guy or whatever it is, he'll give you a look that's so realistic during the week of practice that you get in the game and you're like, oh, yeah, man, I'm so confident and I'm so good and I'm so prepared to play this. All of a sudden, you don't have that guy. And the guy that replaces him on the look squad doesn't do the job. And, and like little things like that that happen over the course of a week can really make the difference between obviously winning and losing. When I look at San Francisco in this matchup, 
you know, like the Green Bay thing. Like sometimes I think there's mistakes in the wild card round where you're like, whoa. Now the Jordan Love part of this is real. Since week 10, number two QBR yeah. in the NFL. Um, you know, what Baltimore's done defensively here, not only just all season, but as they've closed it out. Like there, there are some things that are real, but I I can't get past that Green Bay's defense is still a major problem. And you know, I was digging into some of the nerd stuff on the personnel groupings and that San Francisco, when they have their 21 personnel, the two backs, like it's not fair. Like their 21 personnel is completely different than everybody else's because of McCaffrey. So if you if you focus on how they run their stuff on offense and all the options the defense has to think about, this has to be a turnover win for Green Bay, I think, to even have a chance in this one, unless Love is just going to go nuts against a defense that I think is probably going to be better than Dallas's. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think San Francisco does such a phenomenal job, and I did the last two games, last two San Francisco games of the season, so Week 17 and Week 18. And obviously, I played for Mike Shanahan, so I've got a, a, a tight relationship with Kyle. I've known Kyle since he was 14. Um, but just some of the stuff they do, man, like <clears> – <throat> Like the way they block a defensive end. So, so I'll just give you a for instance because it's it's just interesting stuff. Like they're running a wide zone, right? And and so they've got tackle tight end, and all of a sudden they're tray blocking that, right? And now all of a sudden they get into west formation. So now they got two tight ends and they're quad blocking that. Now they run back into the into the single tight end formation, and that guy arc releases in a fullback. Use check comes from the inside out. And basically inside traps that guy, but you're still running 19 handoff. Now all of a sudden you get line up in two tight ends, you arc release and, and you double team with tackle tight end. Right now all of a sudden you motion from outside, outside in, and bam, you crack that defensive end and you run your transportation series to the outside. So I just explained seven different ways to block a defensive end. And by the time you get to third and seven, your head's on a swivel and you're actually not rushing the passer anymore. Because you're like, where, where are they going to hit me from? Like, where are they coming from? And they are so exceptional at that. And the cool thing about that is you, you're running, like, let's say you're running an 18 handoff. I just gave you seven different ways to block the defensive end with the way San Francisco runs their personnel groupings and runs their, their system. Seven different ways to block that. For nine people, it's identical. Doesn't matter. I'm running the exact same thing for nine of us. For two guys, they have a, a slight switch up. But for the defensive end and the defense, it looks like legitimately seven different plays. And it's one play with one blocking combination on one edge that completely screws people up. And they do it They do it better than anybody else. Ryan, I probably spent um, just in the offseason, you know, my relationships with coaches and, and I, I do some consulting and some things of that nature. I probably talked to maybe 12 different O-line slash coordinator type people, every one of them, everyone I talked to last offseason was studying San Francisco's run game. How do we implement it? Like every single one of them. Um, they are head and shoulders above everybody else when it comes to that creating space. And you mentioned the versatility. Debo Samuel can be, play tailback. He can play wide receiver. Christian McCaffrey can run any route at the wide receiver position. He can play tailback. Uh, check can be a slot receiver. He can be a tight end. He can be a fullback. You know, Kyle Juszczyk, or excuse me, uh, uh, um, Kittle can do the same thing. He can play from fullback. He can play for tight end. So even when you get into a personnel, like you get Tiger, 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 which is two tight ends, like you could still be in a fullback. Like you could still be in actually run 21 personnel plays out of two tight end personnel because they've got such versatility. So as a defense, 
you're just always on your heels. 100% of the time, you're on your heels. And if Green Bay's defense had been better as of late, and, you know, look, they came up with the big plays, the two picks were huge against sure. Dallas, but that game just gets so out of hand. Like, I don't know. And that's kind of what I talk about. Like, sometimes you can make mistakes in the wild card round where you're like, okay, but Green Bay's going into this game against this team right. with these options that we just talked about with the defense that was the most frustrating part of their miraculous turnaround in the second half because the defense was still like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they have the dudes, but I've I've been in love with the offense, like a lot of people with the younger receivers and Aaron Jones coming on. But I, yeah, I nerded out on the film a little bit. And I don't even really know what the hell I'm looking at, Schlereth. And I'm going, wait, they've got a motion Debo, then a sweep handoff that they block to that side, and the whole thing, like all the action is to that side, and the play is actually to the right. Yeah, just Purdy's quick enough and whatever. It's it's a kind of like a one option read because you probably have to chuck it if it's not there. But it's like think of all that they're putting in just for the misdirection. I mean, that's just a play action. That's the entire thing that they're doing against what's been a pretty undisciplined Green Bay defense. Um, Houston destroyed Cleveland. Depending on which numbers you want to look at, uh, Cleveland's either the best or one of the three best defenses. I think it felt like the safety situation. Like I thought Jim Schwartz with his man coverage and those corners, it, it was going to be tough considering uh, Nico was the only guy able to go with tank out at receiver. And it just, it didn't matter. So knowing that, was there enough there for you to think that that's sustainable against Baltimore's defense? No, I mean, I, I think that you look at that game. I thought Flacco was really good right up until he wasn't, <laughs> you know, right up until he made the the disastrous decision to try to throw one away and he got pick six and then he came back and, and you know, just let a linebacker just, you know, eye pump him and, um, and steal one and get down the sideline. So, I mean, um, those, you know, then all of a sudden becomes a blowout. You know, it's cool both with Green Bay and with Houston. 21 attempts. Both quarterbacks had 21 attempts. And, you know, things for me, like, when you're a passing offense, and this is just my experience in the NFL, and as much as we try to make this college football, it's not. And when you're a kind of a passing offense, it's really hard to pass yourself back into a rhythm when you fall out of rhythm. You got to run the football. You got to win the the battle of trenches. You got to you got to be physical. All those things. And I thought Green Bay and Houston did those things. Um, won the won the battle of trenches. You know, won the line of scrimmage. And um, you know, I thought Laramie Tunsil absolutely you know was great in his one on one opportunities. And, and you don't try to give a lot of those against Miles Garrett, but he was great when he had to do that stuff. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that, I think that I was surprised about the, the Houston. I, I thought Cleveland would win that game. I was surprised. I will tell you doing a bunch of Houston games, CJ Stroud is an old soul. He's got unbelievable maturity and he just is so judicious in his decision-making process. Um, he just understands he will only scramble when when need be, um, and he does not hesitate to throw the ball away and live to fight another day. And it just is the maturity there uh, will always have them in games because he won't make bad decisions. He just won't. It's a rookie-heavy snap team. Like I found this number this morning. It's over 1,800 snaps by rookies, which is the sixth most uh, in 2023, so you're like, okay, so five teams actually had more snaps by rookies, but it's the first team to win a postseason game with that many snaps by rookies uh, since yeah. they started tracking it in 2000. So, um, 
I I am surprised it gets so ugly against Cleveland, but that's the downside of Flacco. Like even with this Flacco resurgence thing that was a lot of fun, the guy was still throwing a million picks all over the place. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to happen with Lamar. What have you seen about Baltimore, the entire package that seems more buttoned up? And I know Lamar is kind of the headliner of that, but Zay Flowers, I think, is the best receiver he's ever had. Um, what they do on the back end, and, and it looks like Hamilton's going to be good to go in this one. It looks like Humphrey's going to be out uh, at corner for them. But what what is it that you see with the Ravens' total package and doing games this year that that puts them in? Look, Kansas City, Buffalo, all these Cincinnati, all these other teams that we put ahead of it against the AFC. What is it about them this year's version that makes you like them so much? Well, I think one is they win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball on a consistent basis. One thing about John Harbaugh is his teams play physical. They play nasty that way. They can run the ball. They can defend the run. Um, the other thing they do defensively, their front seven is pretty incredible. Um, and I think they're incredibly athletic at the linebacker position with both Queen and um, with both Queen and, and uh, obviously, oh, shoot, uh, I don't know why I lost his name, uh, the Chicago guy. Uh, Roquan Smith, they're, they're incredibly athletic. So it gives you an opportunity, you know, to walk up to, to blitz, to do a bunch of different things with them, uh, create one-on-one opportunities for your defensive players, your defensive tackles, your defensive ends. So, and they can walk up in an a gap and still get to their hook drop and get to 14 yards depth and, or 10 yards depth or whatever they need to get to and take away the in-cutting routes and, they're really good at that, that that type of stuff. So I think Baltimore athletically, physically, they're really gifted. Um, and, and the other thing that I think Lamar, the growth of Lamar, uh, obviously you mentioned, you know, Zay Flowers and the talent they have, Beckham, the talent they have on the outside. But I think the growth of Lamar, his ability to extend the play and not just take off and run, but extend the play, hold the ball, and, you know, it's the second play behind the first one. And I thought San Francisco early in the game that they won in, in on Christmas Day, I thought San Francisco really did a good job early in that game of basically what we call cage rushing or or you know mush rushing and keeping him in the pocket and making Lamar beat you from the pocket, which he's proven he can do, but he's not as efficient and he's not as big play potential as when he's out and he's scrambling around. And so, um, you know, they designed, San Francisco designed probably four or five free rushers at him, and he made every one of them miss. And then, you know, then Lamar, like when when that happens, you're in deep trouble. I almost almost wouldn't blitz Lamar. I almost just say, hey, man, we're rushing four. We're going to stay in our lanes. We're going to just try to condense the pocket. and, And, hey, if you beat us from the pocket, more power to you. But I'm not letting you scramble around for seven seconds and throw a 40-yarder to a receiver who has broke off um, his route and a, a DB who's standing flat-footed worrying about you running. That's a great segue um, because speaking of the Blitz, Tampa put on a Blitz festival against Philadelphia in the wildcard game. I mean, the number that I still – there's all sorts of numbers that were bad for Philadelphia – but the one I can't get over is there were 10 free rushers that got pressure. It's the most in any game all season long. 
it's led to all the Sirianni questions, which I think are fair because you're like, look, I know that there's a limit on what I can understand of what's going on in a game, especially just watching on the TV at home. But look, you're going like, all right, like where where's the adjustment? Like what is it? And it just never happened. So if you look at Tampa Bay's blitz history against Goff, they blitzed them on like 18 of 48 dropbacks in week six. Uh, I think there's probably a little bit more trust with the offensive play calling at this point now with Detroit, with Ben Johnson, everything that's happened, despite what some think of golf. Cool for Tampa. I can't fathom they're going to go into Detroit and do the same thing, especially with Detroit watching all of that film, unless Bowles just does a 180 and, and tries to just go away from the most recent film. But I don't know that they'll be able to live that happy again for 60 minutes the way they did against Philadelphia. Because everybody, people that don't even know what they're talking about, was like, that's weird. That seems like it's bad right now. What do you think? Yeah, I, I like Todd. Todd, I played with Todd Bowles in Washington for a lot of years. Todd um, is a great coordinator. But Todd, Todd is a pressure guy. That's what he believes in. And he's got the corners to stand up. Davis can do that. Um you know, they, they've got a couple of corners that can really run and, and they can really play. Um, Dean is Dean is a really good player as well. Um, you know, at Winfield, DB is exceptional. Uh, and they got linebackers. The thing that really that set them up, they got linebackers that can flat run. Uh, Levante David is just unbelievable. Uh, both their linebackers are just really, really outstanding, you know, guys who can cheat zones so they can, they can drop and get depth and make you throw it underneath rally up and something that you think would, you're going to get six or seven yards, you're getting two, you know, that's the type of linebackers they have. So it, it, it leads them, it gives them that opportunity to bring pressure. And one of the things that Todd will do a lot, he'll pressure you on first down, like in, in downs you don't expect. And the reason he does it is he wants you behind the chains so that he doesn't have to pressure on third down. So he can play coverage. You know what I'm saying? So he'll try to get you behind the line of scrimmage on first down, you know, on a run play where he'll run blitz you and you'll be at second down and 12. And then, you know, and then he'll get you behind the chains. He'll play that game where on third down and seven, now I can play two chains and, and drop guys and make you throw it underneath rally up and tackle and get off the football field. So it's an early down pressure system. One thing I love about Detroit and Ben Johnson, you watch Ben Johnson, just his play calling ability. They'll run the ball. They'll be under center about 40% of the time, which lends your lends to better play action, better fakes. Um, but their second down and third down in long run package is exceptional. They're one of the top in football. And the reason that's important to me is you get favorable looks in the run game. So you run some inside trap and some other things on second and long and third and long. And, um, and it, it keeps a defense honest. It doesn't let them pin their ears back and just come after you all the time. So those are, those are breakout type of runs when you can time up your blitzes and stuff. So, um, they're just they're a really good football team. Uh, Detroit is as far as running the ball and taking advantage of some of that blitz stuff. And then Jared Goff, just his ability to throw in tight windows and having a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown is as tough as it comes inside. Um, I love I kind of love what they're doing. Last thing on this game because it sounds like you're leaning Detroit. Um, you know I talk to my buddies you know and go like, hey, is Aiden Hutchinson in this group? And a lot of the former players were like, nope. Like he's good, but he's not those other guys. 
but he's been on a tear these last few weeks. And I think the matchup against Tampa's right tackle certainly favors Hutchinson. Have you seen anything from him? Is it just an energy thing? Because the numbers in the eye test are telling you there's another level that he's getting to here late in the year. Yeah, he's his effort is unrelenting. Like his effort is great. Sometimes I think he doesn't set moves up. Sometimes he just throws, you know, he throws his counter move before he actually sets up his counter move. Um, and you know, that's a young guy with a ton of energy, but he plays exceptionally hard. I'll tell you the other thing, um, that I like about Detroit's defense. And and I think they're pretty, I think they're average, but CJ Gardner Johnson coming back, he tore his peck, I think in week two, and they just held off for him, him coming back. He brings in energy and a toughness to their back end because their corners are suspect, but he brings it, uh, energy and toughness to their back end that I think is pretty exceptional. So that that's a guy that I think is a difference maker for Detroit. So it sounds like you're going with the three home teams in Kansas City. Yes, exactly. That's where I'm going. All right, Mark Schleyer with Fox Sports. Enjoyed you all season long, and it was great to catch up today. Thanks as always. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Okay, everybody, it's Friday. I'm excited about today's life advice. I don't know if we can really top Wednesday after the Christmas savings account from Kyle, which I had numerous college buddies reach out and be like, can you fathom any of us having a separate account for Christmas presents? Now, certain guys that I lived with were rich because either they were working or their family, like they just, I had certain friends in college. It was like money was just never, ever going to be an issue. No matter what. I remember one couple, well, they were called parents back then. But they showed up and they were like, God, you know, and they were, I'm not going to say the name, but they were talking about their son. They're like, he spent, you know, $900 last month and we don't even know what it was on. And it was just like, <laughs> time to reload the account. And he was just like, man, 900 on just expenses living in yeah. the dorm with your food paid. Well, that kid was living fat. All right. Life advice, yeah. life advice, RR at gmail.com. Um, so Kyle, just salute to you on as Saruti nailed it the heart in the absolute right place the plan to accomplish something that could not be executed uh <laughs> and, and look i would have done the same thing i mean if i had well i wouldn't even start the christmas account but the idea that like on a friday dudes are going out i'm like ah, i'm pretty low on funds like ah, i can't dip into the christmas account yeah. <laughs> like, wipe it out <laughs> much easier to make money in college i'll tell you that it felt it felt that way at least <laughs> wait it was easier that might be its own episode. Well, I told you I had a cigarette business going on and it was mm -hmm. just like 
it, there's no need for it. There's Lucy spots all over the place in Poughkeepsie, and it's just a, there was a different demand. I couldn't I couldn't find the hole, you know. I couldn't find uh, whatever I needed to do, and uh, it just got way harder. Your business model just it didn't adjust for that. No. Yeah, you were like New Zealand. There were Lucy's Lucy spots all over the place. A free a free Lucy with a drink order. Okay, uh, we talked about the Instagram guy um, where Kyle suggested to just hack in the phone and like Ethan Hunt um somehow <laughs> not really but that's what it came across as i guess it just was a lot a lot of stuff like i think you'd have to have that down like a rubik's cube yeah. and just an aside on the cube itself am i led <laughs> to believe that if you just know the patterns of turning it you're not really solving it you're just you've memorized that you spin it this Correct. way and then spin it this way and then spin it this way so None of it even matters, yeah, right? It does take some of the prestige away. Definitely does. Yeah, cool. Yeah, you could hop on YouTube and be like, all right, you know, you got a red and top right, top left in the middle. Here's the, the, the you know, the 17-point move that you get to get the whole face there. And it's like, cool, all right, well, that's, you know, the whole point is that you try to figure out yourself, right? Not that it's like you're scamming. Now, we'll probably get some emails yeah, from the big Rubik's sorry. Cube saying, <laughs> being like, you're a loser, you don't know. But that's, that's I do, we that are, is how it's, that how it's work. <laughs> so... Uh, the only reason I bring that up is I know that I should have known it already. Um, and I, I think I started like, but that's the thing is pre-internet as a kid, you know, little Tommy to get in for Christmas and be like, our kid's a fucking genius. You'd be like, no, somebody taught him the move. That's it. So, yeah. You know, yeah. The whatever. people that like the, the, the people that do like the, the, you know, the, they time it and like do it in under a minute. It's all just patterns like you know they just look they'll look just clamps at that bang 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 yeah it is cool i mean it's still cool to watch like it's amazing but yeah still- i mean I'm, I, my brother got one and he like worked at it and then i i wanted one the next christmas huge mistake i think even my parents were like what are we doing i'm like <laughs> i think i'm i tried it for like probably like a week and then i'm taking it apart and trying to put the reds with the reds it was just yeah, like Kyle's i'm never gonna figure stickers this out. off and putting them <laughs> on never gonna figure this out. it's like you're missing the point man <laughs> i haven't figured out I, yeah there was we did the the white elephant for uh, my my uh, like my wife's side of the family, and somebody got a Rubik's cube, and I was messing around with it, and I almost got one full side, but I I had no idea what I was doing, and I felt like a big idiot. Well, you got to learn the move. I just didn't know if there was like any like, oh, I have to get this over here. It's just no, no, you spin it outside to top to middle, and just once you have it down, it doesn't even matter what you were looking at. I don't know. I I just. It's a little disappointed. That's all. Okay. All right. So uh, we had a couple follow-ups on the Instagram lurker account solution. Um, one thought popped into my head uh, was that he could also block her account from his own personal Instagram account. Then when the moment finally happens, when they exchange Instagram handles, he can play it off like, wow, that's weird. You're blocked for me too. And gaslight his way to normalizing what happened. That's great. <laughs> I can't believe we didn't think of that. Make her think it's some weird glitch in Instagram that caused it to happen. Could be terrible advice, but it's something I would consider. That feels like a more advanced version of just playing dumb, but yeah, sure. Uh, we also had this guy chime in. Recent life advice on the Instagram burner hit very close to home. I was in the same exact situation as the emailer. My now girlfriend found it very weird and sketchy that I would never follow her on Instagram. Yep, I'm telling you right now, the ladies don't like that one. I played dumb for months. She never bought it, just found it weird and thought I was uninter- uh, in- uninterested and not committed to her. <laughs> yeah, that actually sucks. It's like you want to be in the relationship, but she'd already blocked you because you were lurking. I don't know. Uh, the emailer has to get her to follow him first. It's the only way his personal account will not show up as blocked for her and following him will unblock his personal account 
and then free him up to follow her back. All right. That's kind of what know. I said. Is it? It's similar no. to what I said. No. <laughs> no. It's kind of what you said. I, I it doesn't involve settings... you hacking into her phone. Yeah, but like you're, I, I was never suggested going into the settings. And I'll just Did leave you it say there. settings? No, no. You, I said settings because you said settings. I meant, oh, could you search right. yourself on their, on her Instagram and then just add it? Be like, oh, I'll just do it. So this guy's saying, though, that if, if she follows you, finds your account, it won't say that it's blocked because she follows you? That seems I guess he's saying it would unlock something. I don't know. I don't. I'm wondering. I don't delve into this. I know that when you're blocked because somebody reached out and asked me for money and I said no, and then they blocked me. And I was like, okay. And uh, then I was like, the account still comes up, but now there's just no information, like no posts, no pictures, no whatever, but I can still see the account. So it doesn't say, hey, you're blocked. But clearly, clearly I got blocked because I wasn't super into the idea of giving out a personal loan. Uh, to somebody I barely talked to. All right. Wow. <laughs> All right. You think they're listening? <laughs> um, I don't Sounds know. like they did you a favor. If I got into it, you guys would just be like, I can't imagine a worse person to call with this idea. <laughs> but I'm okay. not going to do that. I mean, you know, like everybody has people they know in their lives. You're just like, wait, what? Um, I'll just leave it at that. I kind of want to share it because once I like add this other detail, you guys are just going to start dying laughing, but I'm not, I'm not going to do it. All right. Uh, Cause what I want to get to is vending machine guy has chimed in. I'm, it was so good. This guy's a really good writer. Um, it's so good. I debated like reaching out and be like, should we have him on? But the email is so good. We're just going to go ahead and do it. And I don't really want to turn this into maybe having people on all the time from Although West Texas, Jake, you know, mm-hmm. we had that guy. I hope he's doing well. Okay. Uh, Update vending machine challenge. Hi, Ryan. I have an update on the attempt. The way I'm starting out this email will make it seem like I failed, but hold on tight, boys. Ooh, suspense. First off, I'm in peak eating shape. 32 slices of lunch buffet pizza. 36-inch po' boy in 10 minutes. B-dubs blazing challenge in one minute. I'm in the zone like Andre Blatchpool in the red light district. There was absolutely no way I wasn't finishing the vending machine challenge victorious. No way I would lose. I lost. (laughs) We set the date for Friday. So Thursday, I drank a ton of water and ate salads and veggies all day. That was my first mistake. I peed four times that night. I felt good walking in the office. There was a buzz on the trading floor. No work, all business for me. The pot grew to $2,500, including a $500 donation by a salesman who's seen this attempt fail too many times. I love that another guy was like, it never works. Here's another 500 of the pot. I'm basically just putting five. Yeah, I'm putting this money to the side and then I get to pick it up later in the day. Nine o'clock hit and it was on. I started off with the veggie chips and baked lays, followed by Nature Valley Bar, Cheez-Its, and salted peanuts. I knew I needed a mix and some sugar, so I treated myself with the Rice Krispies and peanut butter crackers. I won't bore you with every item, but I started out really strong. I was 50% done by noon. Light work. Right. Then the roller coaster started. The sugar highs and lows were all caps, by far the worst part. I really want to stress, it's not the amount of food. It's your body saying, what the fuck is happening right now? I started to sweat and shake after eating all that sugar mixed with the salt. So much sugar and salt. I wanted to vomit (laughs) after each additional bite. I almost quit, but my inner David Goggins voice in my head was telling me real men don't quit. So I smacked the shit out of him. I'm not a real man. I quit. 
I still had nine items left, including four candy bars. I vomited at work and all night. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> it's <all> impossible. <laughs> Just seeing the remaining items on the table puts you into shock. People don't understand the sugar impact. It's not that I felt full. It's more my body was breaking down. However, I would love for a fellow listener to conquer this and submit evidence. If someone can pull this off, I will tip my hat and call them daddy. Well said. It kind of reminds me, like, because I've been through this situation, not with the vending machine challenge, but I'm a big popcorn guy at movies, right? And I'll get the big ass large popcorn and I just I'll eat a really unhealthy amount of it to the point where I do not feel I don't feel well (laughs) and I'll even take it home. So I know that like, wait, why do you you're not even full? Because I just, why are you going to waste God, it? it? Why are you going to waste it? I, I mean, still have I, I took it home when I was like eight. And then my dad no, 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 was no, like, dude, what dude, are we I, doing here, man? We're not bringing this home. So no, the thing that you snack. will eat so much that you actually don't feel well, you're like still going to bring well, it. Well, I'll give it a couple me. days. Put it in a plastic Ziploc bag. and A couple for, days? You know, oh, how yeah. old are you? 70? <laughs> popcorn. It's, like, it's a great snack. I love popcorn. And you're getting gouged. We've digressed. This isn't even the point. The point of the story is that. I'm not even full, but I just, you can't eat that much like salt and butter. Like you can't, you just, your body is literally just telling you no. So totally understand where this guy's coming from. And the sugar thing must be insane. Well, that was the whole point. Like he's a big dude. He gives us the resume. This guy can eat. And my favorite part of this story was people on X asking, hey, can you post a picture? And it's like, you know what? You're right. Like, let me, let me post a picture of this whole thing emailers across the board following up because sometimes look it just happens it doesn't end up in the mailbag and friday feedback but it it was i don't know 90 percent of the emailers were like no way that's ridiculous because we listed all the items of course on x 75 percent of the people were like no problem dude like because that's just <laughs> it was like the best study of what that what that account what social media is all about where it's just every guy was like yeah dude why I can't even believe that. I'd probably go out for chicken parm that night. Um, the no one is factoring in as our guy talks about, like this massive, massive sugar spike in your body that's like yeah, you're just mashing candy bars and all this candy the entire time on top of all the sugar that's in all the other stuff that's supposedly like decent for you. And then you look at the sugar content. So um I love that he shared it. I love how honest he was, and I I think people need to, you know. At least I, I shouldn't say it to this audience because this audience kind of gets it. <laughs> I, I think the the thing about it was that it was like a size medium vending machine. Like it wasn't like it wasn't the XL. Like maybe maybe it's a large, but, you know, it's like a large that runs small. You know what I mean? The vending machine, it wasn't like the biggest one anyone's seen. So I think like it just it didn't feel like it felt like there could have been one or two more rows in there and it still would have been a normal size vending machine. So I think maybe that's what it is for the the folks who saw the picture. Uh, but just, I, I just to understand again, it's 14 bags of chips, eight candy bars, four granola bars, three peanut butter cracker packs, two bags of peanuts, two bags of cookies, one pack of gummy bears. What the fuck do you need three different peanut butter crackers in a vending machine for? That's well, that's a cheese cracker to eat too, man. standard Ugh. cracker. I guess. I, look, I'm telling you right now, I'm looking at the picture going. It's that hard. No, because this isn't, you're right, Kyle, like the size of it. When you see the picture, you're just like, oh, no, you could figure that out. Yeah, because it's not a mini vending machine. It's definitely not the biggest one you've seen. So you're like, oh, this is a moderate size vending machine. I bet you somebody's going to go, oh, you shouldn't have the Rice Krispie treat so early. I'm sure. I did think think that, but that's not why. (laughs) That wouldn't have been my choice, but that's not why he didn't finish it. (laughs) 
<laughs> but that did cross my mind. Because, uh, I don't know, he just went a little, little like, carb-heavy too early. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Think about, like, even now, like, around Halloween, you know, if I'm eating candy or if I if it's, like, a movie night or it's, like, a cheat night thing or whatever, you're doing something weird. Like, I could only really eat one or two packs of candy if we're talking, like, the box ones. Like, if I'm getting, like, a Charleston Chew and a Sour Patch Kid. I, I, if I go more than that, I'm going to feel like absolute dick. And then now you're adding all yeah. this other salt stuff. Like, what's, I'm trying to think, like, what's the food? What's, like, the snack food you could eat the most of? Mine's probably smart food because it's just, like, that's, like, it's, like, air cheese. You could just eat it and I could eat a whole bag in a night. But even that, like, that's putting you on your ass, like, in an hour. Like, you're not going to feel good after that. And then this thing, this thing, you're mixing in a bunch of different sugars and salts or whatever. Man, that's going to, it's like, that's how you get diabetes, dude. Well, thanks. Uh... <laughs> Sorry for the breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to, I know, because as you were talking about it, I was trying to figure out, like, what is it? Like, I love the peanut butter filled pretzels, but that's not really a thing. Like, I know oh. specifically. Like, how many like, sleeves how of those do you need to eat in one sitting? Well, they come in tubs. Yeah, they come in tubs. I usually fill like a pint glass and then I'll wipe out the pint glass. And those are filling, though. Yeah. And you're like, all right, but it's not gross. You know, it's not gross. Like I'm trying to think of like the one thing that's a splurge. I would say every few months I will go to Susie's uh, Susie Cakes and get the celebration cake slice. It's this big fucking slice of like birthday cake. And it's incredible. I think it's like seven bucks. And there was one near my house. And it is it just tastes so good. And I'll be like, all right, I'll, you know, it's been a couple months. I'll get a slice of this. And then it's so much fun the first night. Or I'll eat like a third <laughs> of it. It's so much fun. <laughs> right. I'll eat like a third of it. I'll never, I've never sat and ate the entire slice at once. And then I'll eat a second like portion of it. I usually chuck the very end. And usually after the second day, because you can, you can keep it at room temperature for like a couple of days and it's fine. But usually the second serving that I have of it, my body's like, all right, what the fuck's going on here? And again, I'm not like, counting stuff and going oh you know i'm gonna can, can you make that pizza with kale crust i'm not that guy but i'll i just know you're right Suri. like if you'd go really hard on something that your body's not used to uh because you're doing it and it's like a treat it's like a reward um in a way it can actually make it way worse you know it's, it's almost like this weird tolerance with with food like that so all right can, can i give you a little peanut butter pretzel thing just for you because i know you're a beach guy Great beach snack. You leave them in the sun, warm them up a little bit. Mark Titus taught me that. Who taught you that? Mark Titus. When we would have our, our beach days, and he would just be like, we'd set up the thing, and he'd throw he'd throw the uh, the Trader Joe's. They make the or Costco, I guess, probably makes the best one. Uh, he'd just throw it in a spot in the sun and be like, we'll let that cook for like twenty five minutes, and then we'll be ready after we get in the water for the first time. Let it cook. <laughs> Goes great with a couple cores. That actually sounds like the most Titus story ever. Yeah. So that. That checks out. That's a great call. I'm a big grapes guy. You know what I like to do is I like to take grapes and put them in a Ziploc bag with a bunch of ice cubes. Nice. On the so outside that way of the grapes, right? Hmm. No, I just, throw the, I just throw the ice cubes in with the grapes oh, nice. in the Ziploc oh, wow. bag. You All think right. I had kids with that kind of move. <laughs> Fuck, look at us swapping beach tips. That's great. Sir, do you have any beach tips other than taking popcorn to go? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't feel like it's that weird. If I'm getting a large, like, why am I throwing it out? Uh, so, yeah, no, I don't. I'm not going to share any more information to be ridiculed. Do you walk out <laughs> of the theater with the tub and then have to stabilize it in the car? 
not in the car. Well, yeah, it's it's a, it's like a, it sits by itself. It's not like I have to hold it with one hand on the steering wheel and one hand on my popcorn. Like you just, oh, they're just, pretty big. You dude. put it on the seat next Buckle to you. Drive home. You, can't you put, put it, it in a Ziploc bag and. Because uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You think stale popcorn is like almost as good as fresh popcorn. Some might even say it's nope. better. Like stale popcorn nope. is delicious. No one would say that. Not oh, like man. really stale, but just like slightly stale. And especially the movie theater one, if you put the butter on it. Ugh. Ah, goes great with some cold pizza, right? Mm. <laughs> I'm fucking with you. I just, I you go over to Titus's house and he's like, here's our freshly made popcorn. He goes, we're going to leave this out on a tray. We're going to put it on the back deck for two days. <laughs> and then when we come back. Stuff's gonna be really right. I'm just saying, don't knock it till you try it. You know, it's pretty good. You're probably onto something, but it's just way easier to make fun of. So, is that That's okay? Fair. It's also the last thing yeah. you could do. Like we used to be attached to the mall. So, like, are you gonna, like, if you're actually gonna go, you know, check out the mall after your movie, then you're walking around with a tub of popcorn. So you're really kind of hamstring yourself there. You gotta go right to the yeah, park. but I, yeah, I'm not rock, walking around the mall at this t- at this point in my life, unfortunately. Oh no, just uh, eating. It's kind of popcorn, it's kind of an in and out. Done thing. with the mall. Yeah, it's kind of an <laughs> in and out. The thing. mall's a bridge too far. Got it. Right. Like, hey, yeah. you guys want to stop off American Eagle? Is Saruti bringing his popcorn? <laughs> Check <laughs> out <so> lids. <laughs> All right. This is, uh, this is an incredible, specific one, and I love it. All right. Uh, first time writing in 6'2", 220, 35 years old with some injury history, so don't push for max anymore, but I can still get a solid 10 reps at 225 on the bench. Well done. I have worked at the same office for about 10 years now. There's 50, 60 people who work in this office, a good mix of men and women. I'm in middle management. And while it's a boring job, pay is great for the amount of effort I put in. And I never take work home with me. The office has a strong social dynamic. Most of the folks who work here have been there for years and everyone kind of knows everyone. I've never been much to mix my work and personal life. So aside from the occasional company outing, I don't generally hang out with the coworkers outside of the office. The crux of my problem, late 2019, pre-COVID, we had a company outing at a local park. A bunch of guys from the office, a few gals, wanted to let loose on the court uh, that they had there. So a bunch of us dressed to play hoops. Now, I played high school basketball and saw some bench minutes on my D3 college hoops team. All right, so that's that's significant. Like That mm-hmm. means you're going to be good, and you're 35, and you're big. So um, you know that's a completely different level of like you on a pickup game. I play pickup when I can. A good player comp would be Javon Carter. A lot of hustle and good D. The shot Javon is streaky. Carter. Yeah, he's probably this is might be the like the one we got dudes that didn't even play in junior high being like I'm kind of like a Sabonis, but um, <laughs> right. more athletic right. Sabonis. Yeah, better shooter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah better shooter. <laughs> Sabonis with more range, pops. <laughs> so this guy's going Javon Carter on us. He said um, either. On fire or ice cold with very little in between when it comes to shooting. We play four to five games that afternoon. And when I say I was on one that day, I mean that I was on one. Everything dropped, outside shots, fadeaways that had no business going in the net. And top it all off, I was dunking on everyone like Jordan in his prime. <laughs> if you played hoops in a park, you may have put together. <laughs> right. If you played in a park, you may have put together by now that this was a nine foot rim. Yet somehow, as everybody at the office periodically recalls this afternoon, nobody remembers the nine-foot rim. They remember me shooting like Curry and yamming like Drexler, but maybe because no one else playing that day ever hooped competitively, they didn't realize the rim was shorter. So then the pandemic happens, everyone goes virtual, and over the course of those two years working remotely, everyone remembers this legendary performance as the last office outing pre-COVID. It's become office folklore, and it's continued to grow in the two years since we've moved back to the office. Dudes in the office defer to me on literally anything basketball-related now. <laughs> I've been asked why I didn't consider playing overseas or trying to transfer to a bigger school. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. 
but I'm a fraud. Post-COVID, the company ratcheted back outings and started doing them more regularly again last year. And you guessed it, the next company outing is at a park. And now four years later, everyone wants to hoop. It's a different park, so I'm worried about this. And I went and checked their 10-foot rims. Dude, he went and reconned it. <laughs> That's, this has been in his head for so long that he went to check out the rims ahead of time before the company. I love this fucking guy. So He's calling do the I town parks and rec department is like, hey, any chance you guys can install some nine foot hoops too on the other yeah, side? Having yeah. a kids party on a Wednesday, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was wondering. If- <laughs> what if he gets there the night before and like hooks up some wrenching system? Now, granted, a lot of parks aren't going to have an adjustable hoop, so he's probably screwed. So he's asking, do I fake sick on the day of the outing? Do I fake an injury? While uh, I will likely still be better than everyone there, I don't want my legacy to take a hit or this current deal I've got going to be diminished by a day of sub-superstar play. I'm aware of how stupid and seemingly inconsequential this sounds, but I need advice on what to do here. God, I love that story. Mm. So Rudy? The injury thing, yeah. I mean, like, pull. can you, can you like, fake pull a hamstring? And you can still play... But just yes. kind of like, you know, take it easy and be like, yeah, I just can't jump off my right leg. So, you know, it's going to be a little, you can still shoot, you can still move around, but like, you're not going to be like yamming on dudes. I think that's probably the way to go. It's like a knee brace ankle thing situation. And you're like, I'm just going to be, you know, I'm just going to be on the, on the perimeter here. And, you know, I'll, I'll make some passes like the stuff that, you know, you can still do. Now, normally I think, you know, you would go, well, look, I mean, he's calling himself a fraud, so I don't think it's, it's wrong for us. Because I watched some video the other day of some league where the rims are eight feet and the guy looked like an out of shape, Matty Brust, and he dunked on it. And then he like looked at the camera like it was a fucking overtime video. And you're just (laughs) like, dude, what are you doing? You know, like dunks it on an eight foot rim, turns to the guy that was like in the restricted area, then finds the camera. You're like, you should be embarrassed. And they all look like they're pretty good. Probably not going to be friends with that guy. Yeah. Yeah, right. So I thought of that video when I read the email, but this is kind of everybody else's fault, right? Like this isn't (laughs) like you did something and lied. They didn't understand what was happening and you just did it. And it sounds like you're downplaying it and not, not like being like, yeah, I'm the man. It's just the funniest thing ever. Like this is really funny how amazing... Think about it. Somebody's like, hey, do you think the Timberwolves have enough? Ask Doug. <laughs> Ask Jordan over there. You know? Like, so wait, so Rudy, you have some hesitation here. You think he's in the wrong? I don't think he's in the wrong at all when normally somebody's at fault. You're trying to blame the coworkers. They don't know. Like you, you didn't correct them. And I'm not saying that you had any obligation to correct them, but like this is like, you know, you're 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 you made the bed, now you gotta sleep in it. This would be like the equivalent of you like using AI to write some incredible book and then like somebody like makes you enter a writing contest and you didn't tell them that you had AI help you write this incredible book. Like it's, it's, it's your fault. Like there's information that other people don't know that you're using to your advantage. So I'm not saying that you're totally in the wrong for not disclosing the fact that like it was a nine foot hoop, but it's not the other people's fault for not knowing that either. Yeah. You let this become legend. Like you, by the, by the second, you were mad about it. By the second or third time this retelling, you could have been like, all right, take it easy, guys. It was it was nine foot rims or something. It was just you did have the opportunity to say that, which I'm I'm actually not saying you did anything wrong, but I'm saying I think, you know, if you want to keep the legend alive, I think you gotta do a little gotta do a little gamesmanship. I don't think it's the same as writing a book with the help of AI. 
Right, because anyone who actually knew anything about books, you know, it's like it's like there was I guess there was no one that knew anything about basketball there because clearly that was an entire foot less than every other rim. You think it's the same as writing a book with the AI, Suri? I yeah, know like, like you're, you know, you're, it sucks because we're all on the so, spot and you're trying to think of like these perfect analogies at some time. Yeah. I, to everyone to who like, wasn't there, it is like that. To everyone who wasn't there, it's like that. To the new hires or whoever didn't go to the picnic or whatever they're talking about, like to everyone who couldn't see it, they're just getting this false narrative of it. It doesn't mean you're not a great writer, but but that's stealing. That great that's, of a writer. That, that, that's no. a version of of like not actually doing the work. Like he he played well and everything went in. I mean, it's really only the dunking part of it, you know, because the shots are going in on a lower rim. They're going in. The dunking part is the thing that's freaking everybody out. I kind of like this for our guy. I, and normally I would just say, yeah, go back and play again or whatever. I don't think you should play. I think it should just live forever. I mean, it's going to be really hard combine. to avoid it. <laughs> you retire. Yeah. Right. Just you're never going to be able to play ever again. Or if you actually started playing in like a men's league or somebody else from work saw you doing something. But like, hey, what the, the hell? Game. I thought this guy. <laughs> I kind of want this thing to just live forever because the people that don't know and didn't even realize like they there's just this awe. There's there's guys that like, you're going to win. There could be like an office that's available and you're going to get it. Because the other guys would be like, you remember him? Do you remember him in that pre-COVID hoops game? Like, let him take the office, man. He's dunking all over everybody that day. So it's it's not It's actually kind same. of impressive you shot on nine-foot rims, too, and shot that well. Because that's not easy either. Yeah. So like, yeah, I will give you credit for that. I think shooters kind of dial in the, the muscle mm. if they're good shooters. I, I know what you're saying. It's not, it's not the easiest thing. But I think like the best players can kind of figure it out and sort of adjust uh yeah could you do like a humble thing where you just go hey you know <laughs> we know what happened last time like i want you guys to have a good time i don't <laughs> want to i don't want to I, I, yeah i don't want, i don't want to take over i don't want to be the center of attention yeah i'll be, I'll the, be coach, the coach exactly like i don't want to get these subs in everyone will play everyone will have yeah. fun yeah it's like look but that's like the nicest possible way to be like you're just not at my level <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah, but they like they know that, and they, I'm not they, like they they wouldn't think you're a dick because it's true. But they want to see it again. You could just say, "Hey, I'm not going to dunk. I'm not going to dunk today." But there's there's just no way he's going to. I mean, it's likely that he's not going to, despite he's probably a really good player. You're four years older too, to, right? You could just be like, "Yeah, getting older." I don't know how old this guy is. I forget, but you're four years older. You'd be like, "Hey, you know something's changed." Thirty nine now. Yeah, that's a good point. Say say no dunks and just hang around, hang out around the perimeter. I want you no guys to have fun. And knee yeah. braces. And knee I'm not trying to get a triple double here today. You guys can get some rebounds too. Yeah, but the problem is, is like certain dudes, you know, as soon as the ball touches your hands, just you can't help yourself. Mm -hmm. You just you cannot help yourself. Uh, I'm trying to think of a better analogy or come off of the one with Saruti here, and I'm just not because My, you're yeah. not really doing anything wrong. It's that everyone around you has a bad interpretation of what happened because of their lack of experience. So, yeah, I don't know. My dad, this, this pro I was trying to think of this and I wasn't going to say it, but now that you asked for one, I'm going to say it. So like in my K through two school, my primary school, we used to hang out in like the, before the, the bell would ring for us, like the parents who dropped their kids off would like hang out. And my dad would set his watch one time to the actual time. So he would just go like, and five, four, three, two, one. And the bell would ring as he like said one. And we used to fucking freak out. And then I think by the time we we're in third grade, I got like the magic was gone. I was like, oh, you were just like tricking us. Like he didn't do anything wrong, but just we didn't know any better. We were just like, you know, we didn't have that 
that brain tuned into you what's going six? on there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You see what I mean? So, but like he's playing with a bunch of like basketball six year olds, is what I meant. Mm. No, I get land? it. Right. Did I land that? Yeah. No, I, I, I like what malicious. you're doing. Yeah. No, it, but that's a little bit more devious. That's still more devious than what this guy did. It is. I know. I, I, as I yeah. was going to say it, I, I figured that out. But yeah, I don't have a good example. No, but I, I like the example. I like the attempt because I started thinking like, what if you ran around a track and then somebody timed you and was like, you, you smoked it and it was like your best mile time ever, but the track was shorter right. and you didn't go around saying, hey, this was my time. Everybody else was like, I can't believe how fast you smoked that mile. And then deep down, you're kind of like, eh. but even then, I think you'd be less sure because it'd be harder for you to figure out or, the track was Or shorter. you drink like 35 beers one day, you throw up halfway through, there and nobody go. saw it. And then they're like, <laughs> that guy drank fucking 35 beers. Like, actually, I only, I only drank like 18 because he threw up around the corner and nobody saw. Now I knew we'd get there. Perfect. All right. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> All right. Uh, most beers in a sitting for you ever, Kyle. Oh, geez, I don't know. Have you ever tried? Have, I mean, you imagine everybody drinking journey. You're younger. There's there's some stupid challenge. Yeah. Right? You just um, hope there's a certain age where you're not yeah, counting races, how many beers you can have in one case day. Races, but. tape 40s to your hands. And it's like, yeah, we did both of that in one day or something. But I think one you, time did a, you did a case and Edward 40 hands, 40 hands in yeah. the same day. Yeah. Potsdam, New York. What, is, what are you going to do? We were like snowed in. Um I don't know. One time at Frolic Room, before I like decided to tweak my palate and drink um, Budweiser from the tap, I think uh, I was just drinking the IPAs because I was like, I don't really like. I think I had like 15 or 17 like Lagunitas and they were all in my bill. And uh, that was like, I was definitely an off day. It was like a weekend or something, just in case anyone was wondering. But uh, <laughs> I think they were just like, when we got the bill, they're like, holy shit, dude, you there's 18 Lagunitas and I think I got you one or something for free. And I was just like, wow. Let's switch it up. Wow. I'm going to go outside, pull a dart, <laughs> come back in, reset. Be a uh, I think that's all we need. Do we have anything else? No. I almost wish I didn't say that. <laughs> we didn't do the case race. I don't know what my beer number is, but we used to do the, like, the, the DOS boot thing. When beer, did you guys ever everyone see Beer Fest? Incredibly underrated yes. movie. Love that movie. Yeah, it is good. Um, and so we got really big into doing DOS boots, and we would like time each other. And did you order a I bunch would, of boots? Yeah, my buddy went to my buddy like studied abroad in Germany and brought back five boots basically oh, so wow. my friends could all just do it and like get better at it for a while. And yeah, it was I was in the middle somewhere. I, I don't know how I was trying to look up how many beers it was. I want to say it was like seven or eight. And, you know, you drink it and try to drink it in the 10 boot. Minutes. Yeah. So we were more on that speed than it was drinking just straight beers. Um, yeah, we did the boot thing, too. I, I felt like I just did that. That reminds me of when I traveled. Uh, so I apologize <laughs> to Sergey on that one. We did. Do you guys ever do the shot of beer every sixty seconds? For yes, power hour. Yeah, yeah. Oh shot yeah. That sounds. That's like the vending machine people. They're like, oh, not a problem. That is once you get into it, you're going like time has never moved faster, and it sounds so simple and so stupid, and you're like, this isn't that big of a deal. And as you're doing it and you're getting deep into it, you're just going, oh, my God. Like, so like an ounce sucks. and a half of beer every 60 seconds? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Can I get a ruling on something, actually, now that we're talking about this? Uh, this is gonna. This is like a, a big argument we've had in our friend group since 2010, probably. Uh, my buddy claims that on his 21st birthday, he took 21 shots in like an hour, basically. 
on his twenty first birthday. I don't know about an hour. And and which is clearly in an hour, which is exactly which is clearly not real. Like that, you cannot. I mean, maybe somebody can, but I know my buddy couldn't do it. (sighs) Pre-made moves, maybe. Well, it turns out he's obviously it's like it's like the lemon drops, Perkins, it's like that kind yeah. of shot thing too. And he's like, "Oh, it doesn't matter. It's still twenty-one shots." And we were just no, it like, isn't. "No, it's I, I no, made it's those not." Things. They they were okay. so there was such little booze in there. It'd be all sour mix, and then you'd put in like ice, so it would melt even more. Um, it's look, it's still a lot, kind of, but you know, they but used shot- to just tell us to. We would just be told to pre-make all that stuff, and then just pour it out in these like little plastic souffle cups and just give them away because yeah. the, the owners are like yeah. there's barely anything in there and then everybody thinks they're getting free shots so go for it all right this is something he would brag about a shot is an yeah. ounce and a half of liquor right and we're not talking about that we're talking about probably a smaller little cup of not fully liquor of a cocktail right i mean that's what it is it's exactly like a tiny bit of a cocktail so yeah, yeah. sorry all right those Thank are nine you. foot rims pal it's been settled yep Don't know what <laughs> yeah. that was, that was the yeah. nine foot rim of shots nice work <laughs> kyle wow that was great all right that's life advice thanks to oregon thanks to saruti and thank you to kyle back to normal schedule next week monday wednesday friday please subscribe ryan russillo podcast ringer spotify Must be 21 and older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1 888 789 7777, or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut, 1 809 with it in Indiana, 1 800 522 4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1 877 770 stop in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1 800 gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.